Episode 64 comes your way where Andy and I discuss potential breakout stars for the New York football Giants, expectations for starters on the offensive line, and some exciting news around the NFL for one lonely QB. But before we dive in, let's drop that brass. And with that, we welcome you back in to another episode of the One Giant Podcast, where, as always, I am Adam Armbrecht, and with me is Andy Makowitz. How are you, sir? I am good. It is 4th of July week, firing up the grills, getting the pools nice and right around that 80-degree temperature. Adam, what temperature do you love your pool at? Yeah, you just said 80 degrees. Good Lord, buddy. I mean, you're, you're borderline hot tub territory there. Um, It's all relative. It's all relative to the temperature outside, right? If it's if it's a sweltering 95 degrees, then an 80-degree pool is going to still cool you off and feel relaxed. If you're hovering down in the mid-80s, though, getting into that 76, 75-degree temperature pool can be a little dangerous. You don't know which way it's going to go. So I, I think that I would say I probably comfortably live in like a 72 to 75 is my baseline. Baseline. Ooh. That's where I do that thing, you know, where you wade into the water and you just try to keep all of your extremities slightly above the line for as long as you can. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm probably on the wrong side of this too. Cause I think most people uh, uh, say that I'm, I'm, I'm out of my mind when I hop into a pool and they're dipping their toe in and going, Ooh, I, no, no, thank you, sir. You're like, yeah, maybe an extra five degrees will probably entice people to jump in the pool and play Marco Polo so that you're not screaming Marco Polo by yourself. Just Marco. Marco for days. Well, what I can tell you being 4th of July week is we know that there's going to be fireworks over the weekend, but there were fireworks in the NFL, Adam. Wow. They came out in the last Here's couple of days. In. Yeah. What is the news as we, as we, we'll finally get into the podcast. What is the news around the NFL outside of the New York football giants? Obviously really the, the, the biggest question mark, I think for a lot of, for a lot of people around the NFL over this off season, finally that domino falls. Finally, the Cam Newton domino has fallen. And Cam Newton signs a one-year, $1 million contract with the New England Patriots. Uh, He has incentives that can reach up to uh, $7.5 million in total contract for 2020. Adam, what's your initial thought? You know, we had talked about him, the idea of where his completion percentage is for his career – and when I saw that he got signed, I did. I went back and looked, and I thought, you know, because everyone, some people are really hyped on this. They're going, wow, you know, to, to the Patriots, of course. He, if he's healthy, watch out. Is going to be a possible comeback of the year candidate, obviously. And it, I had to go back and look at the 2018 stat where he completed, I think, almost 68% of his passes. First time in his career he's ever been well above the 60% mark. And that did pique my interest. Because I will say that if in the 2018 season before his injury – that cost him a year. If he figured something out and, and, and is now going to shift to being at least more in the pocket than outside of, and can complete a high percentage of passes, obviously this becomes just a disastrously dangerous weapon for the Patriots. And what felt like the end of an era for the Patriots could very well actually have been the beginning of a new one. Well, I got to tell you, you know, I don't know if you were watching any of Cam Newton's Instagram, but he came out with this motivational video and it shows him more jacked and he, he looks like he's in unbelievable shape and the video cuts out right. As he's saying into everyone, like 
I'm on your neck. And as he's saying neck, it like slices out the video. And you could just tell he didn't talk about anybody specifically. But you could tell he's angry about what has happened to him over the last six months. And it like it ha- is so multifaceted with Cam Newton where he's talking to the Carolina Panthers. He's talking to all these teams that have signed other quarterbacks for more money than him where he could have just walked in and been the starter. It's for all of those people that are saying, well, Cam's kind of washed up. He's just injury prone at this point. If the Patriots get a motivated Cam Newton, it's it's one of those things where everyone just kind of scratches their head and says, how do we let this happen where Bill Belichick now gets such a unique person to be behind center where like it opens up the playbook more than even what Tom Brady allowed them to do because it has that you know mobile capabilities, the strength, the the short down plays like Cam Newton really brings something interesting to the table. Yeah, something that they haven't had. And, and we all know how good Tom Brady is. We don't need to belabor that point. But this is a different dynamic that they haven't had within this offense. And when you think about, because they still have young, uh, not young, but speedy, small, wide receivers, right? A lot of shifty, in tight space kind of guys. If you can get a quarterback like Cam Newton who can get out in space and not necessarily tuck that ball and run, I'm sure they're going to want to protect him from that. But if he can just be mobile and then flick that little seven-yard crossing route that goes for 25 to 30 after the catch, that's the type of dynamic they haven't had there. And that's why, by the way, you've seen some pretty big shifts in perspectives. I don't know about the Vegas line per se. Maybe you've touched in on that because I know you're usually uh, ear to the ground there. But this is why you've seen that shift as far as what is the division going to look like? Who's going to win? What are the odds for another team? What about the Buffalo Bills? All of a sudden, it, it muddies right back down to this thing of healthy Cam Newton, you get 16 games from Cam Newton this year, and you just you have to assume that the, that the Patriots are back on top of the division. Well, uh, you speak about Vegas lines. So the Vegas line was uh, the Patriots to win over under nine games, and with the signing of Cam Newton, it went to nine and a half games. So what they're saying is we're, we're, we're thinking that he's going to make the team better, but we're still being cautious because we haven't seen him play in over a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know if he's rusty. We, we you know Buffalo Bills have – a really good team overall and the division's going to be tougher with Miami being more competitive. Um, you know, what I wanted to do is of course the podcast gods didn't allow us to do our quarterback rankings with their cap considerations before this signing. But I think it actually, it would be interesting um, to think about Cam Newton's contract and where he would sit in our quarterback rankings. If he was on the Patriots say a week or two ago. And so his base salary is a million dollars, but he only counts for $750,000 against the Patriots cap for 2020. So to me, you know, he may be her. We haven't seen him in a while, but where would you slot him in that QB value against the cap that we had talked about before? Well, and so, because you can go two ways with it, right? You can say, let's assume that he hits all of the incentives and it's seven, seven and a half million, right? And maybe we can touch on that after the initial wave. Sub $1 million, uh, you know, he, he has a track record. Um, when I look back and again, think about the completion percentage. And we talked, you talked a lot about that and made sure to bring it up when we were ranking these guys in terms of QB completion percentage and how important a stat that is. Again, Cam Newton is not a 60% completion percentage guy. 2018, if that's the sample size, you have to be really encouraged by having him under center this year. When I roll through the list, man, I mean, let let me ask you, are we saying, (laughs) are we saying, are we we assuming health? Are we assuming that he's healthy? 
I, I'm not assuming anything. I'm just saying going into the season where, I mean, Cam Newton passes physical, right? So like question marks in place, we, we, question marks in place. Okay. Right. Like there's still some question marks about Cam Newton, but you, and, and I think that's baked into the price that you're getting him at, obviously. Um, where, where does he stand? You know, you can, you can use either number to, to, to battle your argument if you think he's going to get to the incentives or if you want to ar- argue the base, but I, I'm just curious where you kind of think of him at this point in his career compared to some of the other quarterbacks. Top 10. I've, I'm, I'm looking over my numbers right now. Uh, um, you know, as I start to come into that 13 and 12 range, and we talked about where our lists were very similar, where Dak Prescott and, uh, you know, Daniel Jones and those type of guys. Remember, uh, he is 30 years old. So theoretically, uh, this is him entering uh, the, the the prime next couple of years of his playing career. Uh, as, I, as I look at Ben Roethlisberger making almost 24 million, Matt Ryan, 19 Tom, even Tom Brady at 25 million. Remember, we talked about where else could you spend money? How else can you make the team better? If I'm the New England Patriots and I'm right now looking at a sub $1 million quarterback who's been to the Super Bowl and has obviously proven to be a very dynamic playmaker out of that position, where else could I spend? Let's just say if I had Tom Brady and I'd given him 25 million on the Patriots, I have $24 million that I can spread around this roster. And I think that that, that's the big tipping point for me here because you're talking about adding significant talent. You could add a stud player on both sides of the ball for any team in the league if you're saving that kind of money. And that could be the needle move. You mentioned the Vegas line. Okay, you picked up a half a game by signing Cam Newton. You could reasonably maybe assume that you could get a half to a game added on based on adding two stud players on either side of the ball as well. So now you're talking about moving your needle effectively by signing Cam Newton to this contract from being a nine win team to maybe being a 10, 10 and a half win team. And that's the difference of not winning the division, being a wild card versus winning the division. That's the difference of maybe having a chance at home field advantage versus having to go on the road. So um, yeah, I, I, that for me under, under 1 million, I have to put him at least in the top 10 and I start to get near that Carson Wentz, uh, Matthew Stafford kind of line, right? I, I, we talked so glowingly about Matthew Stafford. I would, I, I, I'd be, that's the push right there. If I'm the Eagles, I'd rather be paying Cam Newton a million bucks than what I'm paying Carson Wentz, and I'll see what else I can build around, and then I get into a debate at Matthew Stafford. I think we couldn't be more diametrically opposed on this one than than uh, I thought we could be. So I, I I can hear those points, but you know the the first thing that I think about is. You have Daniel Jones ranked at 16, making 5.9 million. We both we both agree that Daniel Jones is expected to progress and get better. We mm-hmm. like we think this is going to be a better year for him. And he already had what I consider to be basically a runner-up offensive rookie of the year type type of year last year. So we're saying, like, you're already saying the benchmark starts with him, Cam Newton at his contract being better and more value, and you'd rather have Cam Newton at his at his contract. So then it kind of goes into you're saying. Every team between 10 and 20, 10 and 30 should have already signed Cam Newton before the Patriots have. Well, no, that's not true, though. That's not that's not true, because that you you have to take into account who they have at quarterback. Like I'm saying, when you look at the New England Patriots and you're saying you have Stenham, okay, then you can make the case. Like when we went through our discussions, a lot of it was remember Daniel Jones, like you said, six million dollars young going into his second year, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, all those guys. Now, when you talk about getting into the Teddy Bridgewater scenario, 
I can make the case that Carolina would be far better off having stuck, you know, stuck, brought back Cam on a $1 million contract as opposed to giving Teddy Bridgewater a $14 million uh, cap hit there. And if I move in there, you know, move into these lines a little bit, um, you know, the Rams, would the Rams maybe be better suited to have Cam Newton at a million than 29 to Jerry Goff? Yeah, I'll make a real strong case that, they, that they'd rather be doing that right now and spending that money elsewhere around Cam Newton in the quarterback position. Yeah, I, I mean, the way that I look at it is I looked at it a little bit differently with Cam Newton. I think he has enough question marks with his industry, uh, you know, injury history, his accuracy, and, and just just the, the, the way that you have to run an offense through Cam because he is such a different type of talent that I think it's, it, it's a challenge and it doesn't fit as many teams. So when you think about where he falls into this pecking order, knowing all of those things, and he is 31, you know, I kind of have him in the – 17, 18 uh, range. And, and that's kind of near my Drew Locke and Kirk Cousins range where Drew Locke is young. He costs mm-hmm. 1.5 million, but he's kind of on the upswing of his career. He has a lot more potential with, with a little bit less injury concerns and things like that. And then you have Kirk Cousins who's making 21 million, but the guy throws for almost 70% completion percentage. He's always going to keep you in the game. I, I, I kind of have him in between those two saying, I probably would rather have Cam and take the money over Kirk Cousins. It, it's tough. I just can't in good conscience put Cam, you know, Cam Newton after sitting out for 12, 18 months ahead of Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, and, and guys like Carson Wentz, like you talked about before. It's just I know that you're getting him on the cheap, but you're getting him on the cheap for a reason. And I think there's so many of those teams that are sitting in the middle between 10 and 20 or even 10 and 25 that have had an opportunity to pick up Cam Newton and have passed on him. So what, like what is everyone missing the plot here or is there something else going on? No. And again, I I think it's all circumstantial, right? Fourth round pick at the quarterback position in new England. It means that they don't, they don't know for sure. They may have confidence in Stenum to develop, but that means that they want to have a long-term product on their hands. If you're the New York giants, if you're the New York jets, even if you're the Cleveland Browns, if you're the Buffalo bills, you've invested in a young quarterback. So, you know, there's a very big spectrum here in terms of, Oh, well, why didn't these teams, I have them ranked higher than them. Yes. But it doesn't mean that the Pittsburgh Steelers would say, and by the way, Pittsburgh Steelers were one of the teams that, that, that were considered that should have been considering Cam Newton uh, to bring him in with the injuries around Ben Roethlisberger. But it, they may, they look at it and they say, well, we have our guy, our veteran guy, and we believe in him. I actually think that the Pittsburgh Steelers would have done themselves a great service to have brought him in. Uh, now, what I will say is, as far as how this needle moves and shifts, one one thing, as I mentioned those stats about Cam Newton, when I look back just quickly here, and you go back to 2018, played 14 games, they went 6-8 and eight in those games, but completed almost 68% of his passes for 3,400 yards, 24 touchdowns to 13 interceptions. You know, that's a 29 years old. So f- what, what I'm really looking at there is saying, if I think that that was the turning point as he's hitting the prime of his career, that he's that he started to figure some things out, that he's made some decisions about not wanting to be as much of a running quarterback and, and wanting to display what he can accomplish from, from behind the line, then that's a real needle mover for me, man. Because you go through these lists of players, and uh, Josh Allen might be a great example of it in Buffalo, right? What's the biggest knock and concern with him is about accuracy. So, you know, that that's a big factor. What I will throw in, too, is when you said about how far this contract can go with incentives, $7.5 million, 
Now, that means he probably had a good year if it's in Senton Laden uh, for the Patriots. But if you told me coming into the year that he was going to be making seven and a half million guaranteed, I probably he probably shuffles a little bit down for me. Um, again, when we talked about this, when we went over this, the Carson Wentz placement for me, uh, I felt like I had gone too high with him at seven already. But at seven and a half million, he probably muddles into that group a little bit with with Matt Ryan and, and Roethlisberger. Uh, and, and even those rookies that we talk about, right? If you're, if it's apples to apples, would you rather spend relatively the same amount of money on a rookie second year quarterback versus a 30 year old quarterback? And that would make it a much different decision for me. And probably I potentially find him in the same kind of area that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I think, and, and to tie a bow on, on this for me, th- there's three places that I think would have made perfectly great sense for Cam Newton. And they're all people that have lower quarterbacks on both of our ranking lists. And that's Jacksonville, where I think he could have competed against Minshew and, and won the job and been the hero of that team and would have been his team. He would have been the face of the team, right? You have you have the Chargers before they drafted Justin Herbert. You know, they have Tyrod Taylor. You bring in Cam Newton. You let them compete. You let Justin Herbert mature on the bench, and whichever one wins it out is, is the starter, and Herbert comes in when he's ready. And the last one is the Chicago Bears, where, you know, mm. you have Mitch Trubisky, but instead, they decided to trade for Nick Foles and guarantee him two years of $22 million a year. And like to me, that is absolute insanity when you know it, this contract is showing us that Cam Newton is willing to either take or compete for a starting job and take half the money that Nick Foles is getting. Which So to me, it, it just seems strange that all of these teams decided to pass on Cam Newton. I'm, I'm sure that his price has come down when the market kind of dried up over the last month or so. Um, but, but even if he was 12 million, 13 million, if he's going to be your starting quarterback, he's still, you know, top 20 in, in terms of his value at 13, 14 million. Right. Yeah. This is, uh, to me, this is just one of those weird things when you talk about sports in general and, and then the NFL specifically, right. Uh, we, we can think about Clowney and what's happened with him, whether or not we wanted the giants to sign him, but we still looked at it and said, well, I, I didn't think he wasn't going to get signed. Now he could be holding out for a specific value that he's thinking about. And maybe Cam Newton fell prey to that as well, right? Trying to set a market that never really developed for him. And then it just came down to saying, okay, listen, if you if you believe you can still play quality ball, you go to New England, a great spot to be in. If you, if you, if you have success, you make seven and a half million and you automatically set yourself up for a big extension, if not there, somewhere else in the league. And what will be 31, 32, he'll still have a handful of years left on him and he'll be able to get, you know, a nice back end of his career contract to swirl things around here and and turn our attention to, of course, the New York football giants. Uh, recently over there on NFL.com, they had a bit of the state of the franchise that they went through. And there was a couple of interesting things that I think uh, were worth just touching on there, because as we know, a little bit of the quiet time right now around the NFL before we get into some training camp chatter or offseason chatter. And, and that's going to look weird uh, in the current state of things as well. But uh, the they listed these as kind of the VIPs of the team coming into the 2020 season. And really what I want to pull away from this is Daniel Jones and Joe Judge. Obviously, we know and we've been high on Daniel Jones coming into the second year over the course uh, since his introduction. Joe Judge has really endeared himself to the One Giant podcast as well. How much pressure is on Daniel Jones in his second season? How much pressure is on Joe Judge in his first? And how important is it for this this marriage, as they usually refer to it, head coach and QB? How important is that for to get off on a strong foot? And I'll leave record out of this, but they need to have continuity and success here early, right? Because it feels like 
the franchise needs this to be the the cornerstone that they build from. Well, that's the tough part for me is that every single one of these things, if you do it for any team, they're like, who are the most important people? They are the head coach and the quarterback. Like, who are the most important people in the Chiefs? It's Pat Mahomes and it's Andy Reid. Like, like, so for me, it, it's it's kind of saying the sky is blue that, yes, mm-hmm. our rookie quarterback who we invested, you know, a first-round draft pick in and our head coach who we brought in to specifically bring discipline to this team and bring them to the playoffs are the most important people. Absolutely. And, of course, it, it is important. You know, it's going to be – it's a, it's a strange situation for, you know, Daniel Jones coming into this with a new head coach, trying to figure things out, Joe Judge being a first-time head coach – not really getting as much fi- you know, FaceTime, so to speak, with Daniel Jones to be able to kind of talk about what makes you tick. What are the things that you love to do? How are we going to work together to be able to have this like symbiotic relationship? So it, it, I, I do believe it is the most important relationship is between the two of them. And we, we expect if Daniel Jones takes the next leap, he's the guy that brings our team further along than anyone else is, is building on that progression from, from his rookie year. Um, I, I just think it's kind of very easy to say that, yes, the new head coach and your first-round draft pick quarterback are the two most important people. Yeah, I, I, that, it feels like a bit of a no-brainer, and that's why we're going to skip over when they uh, said that Saquon will be the team MVP. That also feels like one of those no-brainer kind of things. What I will say is I, I think it's important. I, I would love I would love to see the development of that relationship between Jones and Judge go in the direction of a Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning where they really just seemed like from day one, it was understood Coughlin want, they wanted Eli Manning. They wanted Coughlin to be coaching Eli Manning and that, and we remember when Coughlin was, you know, uh, amicably parted ways as, as I believe they put it at the time when he, when he was let go by the giants, you could see that pain that was on Eli Manning's face because they had such a tight relationship and it had success together. So I would like to see that develop. Now I don't know what those visual indicators are there, but that's just something that I'll I'll be interested to see how those storylines play out. If we get any behind the curtain insight that you, you know, it's hard to sometimes take the standard sound bites and really read too much into it. We skip over Saquon Barkley and we go to one of the potential breakout stars that they highlighted here in their opinion. And you can tell me, uh, we can take a look at his stats from last year and see how we feel about it. But they pointed to the X-Man and that's O'Shane Eximenez and saying that he has a real opportunity here to be a breakout star on this defensive side of the ball. First off, do you think that that can be the case? Uh, Potentially. I don't think that would be necessarily where I would go just because the way that we've revamped this defense, we've brought in so much help that I'm not sure how much his percentage of time on the field is going to change from last year. You bring in Blake Martinez, you know, as, as the center cog of this thing, you, you bring back Mayo, you, you spend multiple draft picks on different guys late in the draft around the linebacking position. You know, it seems like we're going to bring Mocus Golden back. We have all the defensive line set up. I'm just a little worried that like, how many mouths there are to feed in terms of breakouts are how many tackles, how much time is he going to get on the field? So it's certainly possible. And I think there is going to be one of those linebackers that really separates themselves as the leader. I would like to think it's Blake Martinez considering we paid him, uh, you know, 12, 13, almost $50 million a year um, to be the anchor of our defense. Um, So for me, I I don't know if I would necessarily go uh, as far as to say the X-Man is going to be our breakout star, I actually have somebody else that that I think is going to be the breakout star of the New York Giants. 
Okay, before before you get to him, because I think you're right when you bring in these kind of guys. One of the things you always have to remember as a Giants fan, especially in recent years, when the team is bad, what it means is that as you get better and new players come in, that's where you kind of find out the real talent level that was on the team, right? And we've seen this in a Grant Haley that we thought, you know, this guy's got a little bit of pluck. Maybe he could be the slot corner for us very next year. A new cast of characters came in, and it's not even that the Giants got that much better, but the level of competition was stronger, and all of a sudden, Grant Haley found himself very much on the outside looking in. You combine that with a a coaching change, and that's going to affect it as well. The other factor for me, just from a fan perspective, um, you know, X-Man had 25 combined tackles, 14 assists, four and a half sacks last year. I think he can benefit from being the guy where if Blake Martinez is gobbling up tackles in the middle, that maybe he's going to be able to have some opportunities to make some big plays. But, you know, fans always, oh, it's interceptions and it's sacks, right? Well, four and a half sacks is a pretty healthy number. You know, I mean, are you telling me he's going to break out and have 10 sacks this year? I guess it's possible. But to your point, I don't know how much he's going to be on the field, and I don't know when they're going to rotate in a Brown or a Carter Coughlin or a Fackrell, and you still have Carter. Like, There's a lot of other guys that are going to be on the field, and I wouldn't be surprised, especially early in the year, if you see this kind of roll call saying, hey, who's the hot hand, and and they're going to get a longer leash. Right now on ESPN, the depth chart looks like you know they have us in a base 3-4 defense, and for the linebackers, they're, they're basically having Marcus Golden coming back, David Mayo, Blake Martinez, and Lorenzo Carter are kind of sitting across that. Then behind them, we just signed Kyler Fackrell to, to be part of that linebacking core. We have Ryan Connolly coming back. And then, you know, we have O'Shane Zimenez. It's like, how many guys can we possibly have? Not to mention, we spent draft picks on guys like Carter Coughlin. It, it's just such a crowded group for us that I, I don't know how you could just point like it's like throwing a dart at a dartboard and saying this is going to be the linebacker that's going to yeah. change things. It's like, I, to be honest with you, there's nine linebackers for four starting spots, and I don't, I honestly couldn't <laughs> tell you who, who it's going to be. Now, who is your who is your maybe sleeper pick, or where do you look when you when you go on that defensive side of the ball? Well, so I don't have it on the defensive side of the ball on the ah. off, on the on the offensive side of the ball, and this is going to probably be a little controversial. And you may be like, oh, you're getting cheeky, Andy, but my my breakout player is Sterling Shepard, and. The reason why I say that is because for some reason, I think we have it in our minds that Sterling Shepard is like a Pro Bowl top 20 wide receiver when he's never had more than 66 catches in a season. He's never had double digit touchdowns and he's never broken 900 yards receiving. So he's never had a thousand yards. He's never even sniffed a hundred catches, never had 10 touchdowns. So for me, it seems like, you know, because he's got the contract, he's been with the Giants for four years you basically say, oh, he's just our established guy. When in fact, like he hasn't really put up the numbers that I think all giant fans in their mind think he's capable of. So for me, you know, you look at Saquon, I think we know what he's going to do. Darius Slayton had a great year last year. Are you expecting him to double his production coming, you know, coming off of an amazing rookie year? Are we expecting Evan Ingram to come back fully healthy? Like when you think about who on offense is going to make changes, if Sterling Shepard can stay healthy, which is always been a been a difficult question mark you know he's only played 16 games two out of the four years i think he's a guy that could get 80 90 maybe 100 catches maybe get to a thousand yards and have a shot at getting 10 touchdowns 
Yeah, I, I, I get I get why you prefaced it with uh, maybe you're getting a little cheeky because just because he's been in the league for four years, uh, I would almost feel like in some ways he wouldn't be in consideration for it. But from a Giants perspective, almost like a comeback player of the year for the team if he has a, a big season for them. You know, the interesting thing that I will say is when, when you looked at his stat lines, and maybe this is a, a nice indicator of what could be if he can stay healthy. Last year, you know, in just 10 games, 83 targets, 57 receptions uh, for 576, pulled in three touchdowns. But what's really nice is almost a 69% catch percentage. Easily, that's his third highest going back to his second year in the league when he had 70% uh, when he played in, again, unfortunately, 11 games, only 10 started. So in his two injury-played years, he caught a higher percentage uh, of passes thrown his way. So that's going to be an interesting element. And, of course, the other factor may be, and I think the easy one would have been on the offensive side to say is Darius Slayton. That's where everybody wants to go, right? But how does the relationship develop between Daniel Jones and Slayton? What does Golden Tate, who still has something left in the tank and is going to be there, uh, and then the health of Evan Ingram? So there's, there's so many factors, not unlike what we just said about the defense. A lot of mouths potentially to feed on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I would I would be ecstatic if, if he was the you know the breakout star for for the Giants, and it would it would, be, it would just alleviate so much, man. Because I I really I, you and I talked about it. I feel so bad for Shepard because it just feels like he is very much on the cusp of boy, just not a guy that's going to be able to stay healthy to be available on the field. And obviously it's specifically around uh, concussion. So that's going to be really interesting, man. For and for, for me, I, I won't even belabor it. Uh, love to me on the defensive side. He's a guy that I think is poised to be a breakout star. Um, I, I don't want to uh, go into this too much right now, but I, I was reading up a little bit about it and, and doing a, uh, some thinking on it. You know, everyone thinks that when we brought in Peppers, that was the replacement for Landon Collins and that automatically you're going to see him get a second contract with the Giants. I don't think that's necessarily the case, especially after they got Xavier McKinney in the draft. I like Peppers, but as love, if he has a breakout performance this season, all of a sudden you're going to see a very different dynamic as far as where the Giants look to spend their money when Peppers comes up for a contract. I wouldn't be surprised if he finds himself maybe going somewhere else as we get really young, even younger than Peppers at the back end of this defense. So love's the guy that I'm going to keep my eye on there. The last but not least conversation that I wanted to have was they talked about uh, where Andrew Thomas should be starting. And essentially it's this, does it really matter kind of scenario, whether he plays it left or he plays it right, he'll be starting on this offensive line. The caveat there that was thrown out was obviously Nate soldier is going to be starting somewhere on this line. Is that obvious, Andy? Is it obvious that Nate soldier is going to be a starter? And is that what we need to accept as being the, being the, the status quo heading into the season? I th- I think it is. I think we have to understand that Nate is going to be part of this team. He is a leader of the team, especially off the – I think he's the, the NFL player rep for the New York Giants, so he mm-hmm. does have a lot of clout in the locker room. And and so for me, you know, he obviously went through a lot last year, personal things off the field type stuff as well. I think it is a reality that he's going to start. And, I, you know, I said it at the beginning of, of uh, the offseason that when we draft a left tackle, I do think he should start on the, on the right side. And he basically said, I'll hula hoop if they need me to hula hoop over on the other side. Like, it doesn't even matter at this point. Like, I'll play whatever position they want. And that's the right attitude to have. Now, 
I prefer him to block to block the defense. Yeah, maybe, not, not be hula hooping. You know, maybe prevent the defense <laughs> the defensive player from tackling your quarterback is where we should start, and then work on some of the circus tricks. But after after that, you know, to, to me, I think he still does know enough, and he's a veteran leader on that offensive line that we need. Um, you know, we did make some some really interesting uh, free agent pickups and draft signings when we talk about. Um, you know, bringing in Cam Fleming, just kind of swing tackle guy that can play anywhere. Um, you know, Shane Lemieux, we're talking about, he can maybe even slide in the center. There's a lot of different guys. And I think we have flexibility. The tackles, I don't really see as too flexible. And most depth charts right now have uh, Nate sitting in the left tackle position for the New York Giants. And they have Andrew Thomas slotted on the right. I'm of the mindset that we immediately start Andrew Thomas on the left tackle position and swing over Nate to right. And if he can't get it done, We'll find someone on the right side that can get it done. But it sounds, uh, you know, I've heard arguments, Orlando Pace, one of the, or, you know, a, a bunch of different great left tackles, you know, Tyron Smith, they didn't start at left tackle. They moved over there after year one. I understand the argument, but to me, like Nate performed very inadequately last year to the point where I, I'm willing to roll the dice and try something new. Yeah. And that's really where I fall on it too. And we, we I won't belabor how I expressed my feelings about, uh, specifically Nate soldiers play on the field, obviously actually as an individual, I love the guy. Um, but I think we already know what he is at left tackle. And I don't think that you can start to get Thomas effective and locked in at that left tackle spot guarding Daniel Jones blind signs soon enough. So that, that I think has to be automatic. The other thing that I will acknowledge here is you got to remember with the way this off season is going to go the, as high as you took Thomas, it doesn't matter the confusion, the weirdness of this off season, he plugs in, he starts and you deal with those lumps. I, I wouldn't be surprised in some ways. I think you have Cam Fleming there as the safety net. And then I think maybe there's a little bit of a, an excuse the comparison here relative to the meeting for the franchise. An Eli Manning kind of scenario here where maybe Nate Soldier plays and starts the first two, three, even four games of the season and allows some of these other younger players to get themselves up to speed. And I think as soon as you see that one of them is ready and capable of being in there without putting Daniel Jones potentially in harm's way, then I think you could see Nate Soldier just kind of drop back into a reserve role and play out the rest of this season as a very important veteran leader in the locker room, a teacher of the young players, but understanding at some point we do need to turn the page. And, and again, we saw the danger of having Nate Soldier on the field last year. I think he's still going to be a liability, maybe less so on the right side, but you're still putting him in a difficult position and putting Daniel Jones in a difficult position. So I'll be curious to see how that develops as well. I'm not going to put a lot of pressure on Lemieux or Pert, and Lemieux's not playing out of the tackle, but Pert, let's say, I'm not putting a lot of pressure on him to come in and start this year. doesn't have to be the case. But, but, but my worry with your scenario that you brought up is – then, then we're starting Nate on the left tackle, and we wait a couple games, and then we swing. Oh him no, over. no! Excuse, I'm sorry, I apologize. He's not going to start at left. He's going to start at right tackle, and then potentially be replaced. Yeah, yeah. Thomas starts I, at I, left, I was, locked I was in. Yeah. Say, the, yeah. Then the problem is, like with this shortened off season, you're not giving Andrew Thomas like a, a chance. You're you're telling him to learn a trade at, at right tackle, even though he was a left tackle all, through, all throughout college. I was like, no, 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 no. That's <laughs> no. the whole point. Is like. If he, the only way that Andrew Thomas starts at right tackle is if Joe Judge puts his reputation on the line and says, I can fix whatever was wrong with Nate Solder before I got here. And if he can do that and he says, I've got it figured out, then I have no problem with Nate starting at left tackle if he thinks that's going to give us the best chance to win on the offensive line. But if he says, oh, maybe we'll switch to mid-year, we'll, we'll try to see where we're at or we'll have a competition or w- whatever it is, 
that's not w- what I'm about. Like, I think you, you draft Andrew Thomas at that position to be your future left tackle. I think we got to start as soon as we possibly can getting him over there. A hundred percent. Yeah. So that just, to, just to quickly clarify Thomas locked in at left tackle and then soldier can start it right and see what happens behind him. And, and again, you know, you're right. Even Joe judge, you want to put your reputation on the line. You can still put your reputation on the line and have Nate soldier start at right tackle. Because I think, I think you're putting your reputation on the line. If you have him starting anywhere on this line, you're, you're making some level of a statement of, like you said, I can correct what was wrong here because I think that he's better than what we saw these last couple of seasons. But the reality is the numbers, the eye test, when you watch games, it looked like Nate soldier was very much washed in terms of being able to be an offense, uh, an effective offensive tackle in this league. So run him out there at right tackle. I think that again, this is why you brought in cam Fleming as well. It's a security veteran security blanket that knows how to play in the NFL. And then you also have the future in part and some of these other guys developing behind them. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, ultimately, I would like to just see Thomas locked in there. Let's start to see that relationship with Daniel Jones develop, you know, there's a case to be made about the curiosity around Hernandez, right? And how that's going to look now too. And I think schematically, you're going to see the shift that allows Hernandez and Thomas, by the way, who's better in the run game than he is in the past, just as his initial base, you're going to allow to have some maulers there, right? And I think you'd like to have some young physical legs on the left side of the line to clear off the edge for Saquon Barkley, open things up over the middle as well. I'll be beyond that, man. Is there anything else that jumped out to you around the New York Giants? This was at least... There were some things worth stirring up the pot around before we head into a little bit of a lull. And I know we touched on the stats around X-Man, but I will say we already we already mentioned this before. We're not going to get into predictions and that kind of thing for the Giants until much further into the offseason as, as we get closer to kickoff. Yeah, the only thing I was going to mention, and this is just a tangential note about the Giants, is uh, you know being of a family that has had New York Giants season tickets for 50-plus years, um, we got a nice message from the New York Giants organization and just as an update, they basically gave every season ticket holder an option uh, of what they want to do this year. They can either enter in and say, yes, if we do have fans, I am interested. Make sure that I am part of whatever crazy Willow, Willy Wonka type thing we're going to have at the stadium. <laughs> like, I want in on that. Or they allowed anyone that has season tickets to defer, skip all of 2020 season, and still reserve the right to your same tickets in your same spot in 2021 with no change of, of the PSLs or anything like that. But want, wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I don't see any scenario where there's going to be fans this year, especially with some of the spikes that we've seen. I think uh, I don't want to, I don't want to leave on a down note, but I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things around the NFL and, and MLB. And if they're going to be able to get through these entire seasons, you know, there, there's question marks are bubbling up more and more as we move through this. Um, I think it's the right thing to do as far as the giants are, you know, organization is concerned. Let, let your fan base have that chance to make that decision very early. and. The only thing is, like, if you opt in, though, and let's say they could have fans, how are you determining? Because it's not going to be full capacity. You're going to be observing the the social distancing. So that's where I think you get into a murky water of which fans get, you know, say 40,000 fans are like, we buy in. If we can go, we want to go. And you go, oh, well, we only really could have 25,000 fans in here reasonably. And how do you start to split the hair? So as as a friend of yours, Andy, someone who has a season tickets and a, and a PSL, I recommend opting for the next year. I, I would defer, Andy. So just full disclosure, we immediately sent it back and said, 
see in 2021, right? <laughs> exactly so the, right. right? You know, there was a, there was a, f- a familial email that went out and everyone was like, what are we do? What are we doing? And everyone's like, option two sounds amazing right about now. Right. So we, we will not be those people that are fighting for that golden ticket. I talked about before we will be sitting rooting for Joe judge, Daniel Jones and the New York giants from the comfort of our own homes. There you go, man. And listen, if the Giants are smart, I think if a lot of NFL teams are smart, if there's an opportunity to have fans in and a lot of the, the season ticket holders have opted out, do something nice and just be be allowing some chair organizations to get involved, right? And maybe have just 10,000 people in stands all nice and spread out with plenty of room around them and treat this season as just, hey, aren't we lucky to be able to be doing this? Aren't we lucky to be able to have anybody here to cheer on the New York football Giants? So we'll keep our eye on that, of course. And with that, we close out. Just, uh, I got to tell you, man, one fresh episode of the One Giant Podcast. You can follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcast and uh, download, rate, review, and subscribe. Of course, we'll be back in talking all things New York football Giants. Andy, until then, stay fresh. Stay cool. Get poolside. And let's go Big Blue. Bang.